it is a joy to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation to come and share with you this morning. Uh, just a, a moment on on me. I did grow up in the Methodist Church. I grew up in Dalhart, Texas, way north of here, uh, in the Panhandle. Uh, uh, after graduating from high school, I went on to Texas Tech University. Terrible loss last night, by the way, uh, for those of you who stayed up to watch it. But went to Tech, and I was studying accounting, got my degree in accounting. But it was uh, my sophomore year at Texas Tech that I was called into ministry, and that was at Cedar Canyon at the, the camp there. And so, but uh, while at Tech, I met my wife, Kat. We got married after we graduated. And after graduation, I went to work at the Texas Tech Wesley Foundation there. And I worked there for four years. I was an intern a year and then assistant director for three years. And then after that, we packed up our belongings, what we had, and we went to Kentucky to Asbury Seminary, went to seminary, and I was successful in cramming a three-year degree into five years. And uh, and then from there, we went to uh, Plano, Texas, and I got a job as an, uh, the associate pastor in charge of administration there in Plano. It was a very large Methodist church, about 2,000 attendants, $3.5 million budget. It was a great place. We loved it. We were there six and a half years, and then God called me uh, to become a senior pastor after that. So we went from uh, Plano to Odessa, Texas. We were in Odessa for three years. And then we've been in Canyon for the past eight and a half years. Love Canyon, love being there as well. Uh, and then, we, as Ryan said, we have two kids. My son, Reed, is with us this morning. He's a ninth grader. He outgrew me this summer. And, uh, and so I'm a little sad about that, but I'm also excited see how tall he's going to be here eventually. And then our daughter, Avery, is a sophomore at West Texas A&M. Uh, and so they are a joy as well. But looking back on my life, my, my first job out of college was working at the Wesley Foundation. And my role there was fundraising. That's what I was in charge of. Uh, it was my job to help find people and institutions that would support our ministry. So we wrote grants, we talked to mission groups, we talked to Sunday school classes. I would come to churches like Sweetwater and preach and ask for money for the ministry there. Uh, we had phonathons, we even did golf tournaments, all to help us with our fundraising. Now, I really don't like doing fundraising. It, it wears me out. It is a, a tiring job. It's, it's very important, but it's draining. But here's the thing. I might not like fundraising, but I love stewardship. I absolutely love the idea of stewardship and what it means to be a steward in the kingdom of God. Uh, so that's one of the things that we have to understand. There's a difference between fundraising and stewardship. There's a, a big difference between fundraising and stewardship. Too many of us see them as the same thing, but they're not. See, in fundraising, I'm trying to get you to give money for a project or a ministry or for a budget. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to ask you for money this morning. Uh, that's that's going to happen. But, but fundraising has as its focus the support of a ministry or a charity. But stewardship encompasses so much more than fundraising. Stewardship is a way of life. 
A life of stewardship begins with a transformed heart. A heart that knows its purpose and its calling. Stewardship isn't raising money for a cause. Stewardship is ultimately taking care of someone else's property. That's what it means to be a steward. Stewardship is about managing someone else's stuff. We are all called to manage or to steward God's property, God's stuff. So now, in our stewardship, giving is an important part of the equation. And we're going to focus a little bit on that part this morning. But it all begins, I believe, with the heart. And our scripture states that our attitude plays a big part in our giving. Now, I know some of you tense up when it comes this time of year, especially if you've been looking at your budget and your money and what you may have or may not have. And when the pastor starts to talk about money and stewardship, I I understand that. And and some of you have this idea. Here comes the annual budget appeal. Well, let me state up front. I don't want your money. I'll take it. I'll always take it. But that's not my purpose. I'm going to ask you to give your heart this morning. See, that's what stewardship is about. Giving of your heart. In our text, it says, Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. That's what Paul is reminding the church. So how do we get to a generous attitude? How do we get to an attitude that has joy in giving? How do we learn to give with hearts full of joy? Well, I think many of us have been taught wrongly when it comes to the attitude of money and giving. Too often we learn from the world's perspective and And we're going to have to unlearn some things if we're ever going to give with joyful hearts. So let's dive in. First, I think that most of us would like to give more. I think most of us are not like Uncle Scrooge. I don't think most of us are stingy. There might be some of you out there that have a stingy heart. But I think for the most part, the reason we don't give more is not because we're stingy, but because we're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid of the what-ifs of life, right? What if I don't have enough? What if a a medical problem comes up? What if, you know, fill in the blank? What if the church doesn't spend the money the way I want it? What if I lose my job? What if I don't have enough to retire on? See, those are the fears that tend to creep into my life when when we start to talk about stewardship and especially when we start to talk about giving. All of those fears in our lives, they, they taint the way we give. And, and it changes our attitude, which should be an attitude of joy, to an attitude of fear or even guilt. And so the second thing we need sometimes when it comes to this is an attitude adjustment. Any of you had an attitude adjustment before? Sometimes I have to give my children an attitude adjustment. And sometimes my wife has to give me an attitude adjustment, right? You've been there? Nod your head, yes. Yeah, okay, thank you. That, it, it's important. In order to have a proper attitude adjustment, though, we have to understand some foundational principles about stewardship. And we're going to look at three specifically. And I hope you get these three foundational concepts because I don't think we're going to ever have a proper attitude when it comes to stewardship 
and giving without them. I think if we can get these three, though, they will help us to begin to cultivate that life of stewardship and how to give joyfully. So here are these three proper uh, foundational principles of understanding of stewardship. First is this, this idea that the heart of God is generosity. The heart of God is generosity. Say it with me. The heart of God is generosity. From our text, it says, Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Paul's talking about the gift of Jesus. Paul is talking about the gift of salvation that we have. About the overflowing grace that God has lavished on us. We serve a God who is faithful to provide. At the core of God's being is generosity. You see, we, as good Methodists, we believe that God is pursuing us. That He wants the best for us. Even before we say yes to God's grace, God's grace is there for us. And that He is pursuing after us. God doesn't give reluctantly. God gives generously and bountifully. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that He gave. And what did He give? His only Son. God gave the best. God gave Himself for us. That is the heart of what it means to be a steward. That God is generous. And so we have to have that foundational understanding of who God is. The heart of God is generosity. And so He calls us to, to be the same. To be generous in our spirit and how we give. That we should give out of that heart of love. Second is this. We have to understand that everything is God's. Everything is God's. Now, you even said it in the prayer earlier. I thought it was a great prayer. It was a reminder. It's a good reminder that everything is God. Your home, your job, your life, your family, your money, your car, your boat, your credit cards, your trust fund, your retirement account, your kids, your spouse, your grandkids. Everything is God's. It's easy to get it up here. But when it comes down to here, that's when it changes things, doesn't it? That's when we begin to really understand that God owns everything. And so that changes the way we approach money. It changes the way we approach our work, our life. It changes everything. Because God is the owner of everything. And we are the stewards. We are the ones called to take care of of God's property. Third, when we give, we give to God. We give to God. Now, I know that doesn't sound too profound, and I'm sure most of you have this understanding, and we would agree with these three statements. The heart of God is generosity. Everything is God's. And when we give, we give to God. But if we dig a little deeper, we'll see the true implications of these. And I want us to take a deeper look at these the foundational principle that everything is God's. How does that affect our giving? If we live with this eternal perspective, it changes how we see things. For example, I'm always asked as a pastor, I'm always surprised at this, especially when I was in Plano, Texas, because I was the pastor of administration and I was over everything money related. People would come to me with money questions. And typically the question they would ask when it comes to giving is what? Do you know what it is? Pastor, 
Should I tithe on the gross or the net? Just give something. Should I tithe on the gross or the net? Well, let's think of that in light of the foundational principle that everything is God's. Here's the thing. God doesn't want 10% of your income, gross or net. That'd be easy. Giving 10% is easy. Gross or net, it's easy. God never asked for 10% of your income. Do you know that? God never wanted 10% of your life. He wants 100%. Jesus didn't say, for God so loved the world that He gave 10% of Himself so that whosoever believes in 10% of God will give 10% of life. God wants 100% of your life. And He wants 100% of your income. Why? Because He owns it. It's His. All of it. See, that changes things, doesn't it? God is concerned with how we spend all of our money. Not just what we give away. He's concerned with how we spend that money to take care of our family. He's concerned on how we take, spend that money to work and for entertainment, for everything. So for some of you, God might want you to just give 10% to the church. But for others of you, it might be 50%. For others of you, it might be 100%. See, God is concerned with all of our life. And we have to be in tune to where God is calling us in that life of stewardship. How we spend money on entertainment, necessities, everything. So this changes the way we approach God, doesn't it? So in effect, we then say to God, this is how we should approach God. Thank you, God, for allowing me to give away X percent. And allowing me to live on what's left over. That's the way we should shift our thinking. It's not ours to begin with. So any we have left over from what God wants us to give back to Him is windfall. Thank you, Lord, that I can live on this. See, we're called to live on the leftovers of what He calls us to give, not the other way around. See, God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants the first and the best. Because it's His to begin with. But here's the thing. That's scary, isn't it? But if we understand the first foundational principle, that the heart of God is generosity. That He loves to take care of us. That He loves to make sure that we're okay. Then that changes from fear to joy. We don't have to worry about what's left over. Because God is generous, He will provide. Now, I know some of you are going to say, because I've said it too, but I work hard for what I earn and I should be able to spend it however I want to. Well, we must remember that God gave us the ability to work in the first place. And He can take that ability away at any time. So that when we know it's God's to begin with, when difficult times come and something is taken away, we don't have to stress over it. Because it's God's to begin with. That's a change of attitude, isn't it? I remember when we were, when my wife and I were first struggling with this idea that everything is God's. You know what happened? 
God's car broke down. And I said, okay, God, your car broke down. Would you like for me to go to work today? You're going to have to figure out some way for us to get, get along here. But God provided, right? And that's, but, but what it did though is when I gave, <laughs> it's easy to give God the broken car, right? It's harder to give Him the car that works. But, but when I began to change that attitude and give it away to God, then I didn't have to stress over it as much. It's His. And He calls me to be faithful and taking care of it. But that third principle, when we give, we give to God. I think this is so important. We don't give to the church. We don't give to a person or institution. We give to God. See, but for most of us, when we give, we want to have control over it, don't we? We want to say where it goes and for how much. But if we have the perspective that we give to God, it relieves us again of having to worry about all those things, right? I used to be a person that gave to the church. I don't give to the church anymore. I don't give a dime to the church. Not anymore. And let me explain. See, when I used to give to the church, I would worry how the church would spend it. I would worry that Ryan would spend it in a way that would not make me happy. I'd get angry sometimes with the church when a finance committee would do something that I thought was stupid. I'd get angry sometimes when the church would spend money in a way that I didn't like. I'd get frustrated. I thought I could do a better job of it, right? I have an accounting degree. I know what I'm doing. Now, here's the thing. When you give to the church and the church is spending the money the way you see fit, you can give with joy, can't you? It's easy. But the first time the church spends money in a way that you don't like, what does it do? Robs you of that joy, doesn't it? Just You're like, oh, why did they do that? Why? Because I want to control it. Anyone else a control freak around here? Just me? Oh, there we go. Thank you. Appreciate that honesty back there. So I don't give to the church anymore. Now I give to God. When I give to God, I don't have to worry about how the church spends the money. God takes away that worry. Now I ask God, how much do you want me to give to you through the church? God, how much do you want me to give to you through the church? And I let it go. And because I've let it go, I don't have to stress over it. I can give with joy. Because it wasn't mine to begin with. And God told me to give that amount, so I just let it go. See, God tells me, you're called to give and not worry about controlling it. That's God's part. He'll take care of the rest. I no longer have to stress over it. It's the same thing, you know, as a pastor, a lot of times I'm approached by people wanting money, you know, for support, you know, pay rent or whatever. And, and there are times, and, and what I've done, this is an agreement I've made with God. God, if you convict my heart that I'm supposed to give to them, then I'll give. If my heart's not convicted to give, then I won't. But here's the aggravating thing sometimes is I know some of these people and I know they're going to waste the money. And God says, give it. And what do I do? I give it. And I let go. Why? Because it's not mine. 
God, if you want to waste your money on that person, go right ahead. But it says to begin with. And so I know the heart of God is generosity and He owns everything. And I give to God, then I can give with joy, knowing, oh, I don't know the whole story. And you're working in ways I don't know. And that's really cool. That gives me joy. That gives me peace. That gives me hope. That gives me hope that God hasn't given up on them and maybe God hasn't given up on me either when I make foolish mistakes as well. The heart of God is generosity. When we ha- See, when we have these perspectives, it helps us move from fear to faith. So I want us to look again at our Scripture. I'm going to read it again. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Any farmers in the house? You know that? Yeah. (laughs) And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having, what's the word? Enough. Always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. Do you believe that God will provide? Here's where we need to ask God to increase our faith. We have trusted God with our eternal salvation. Will we trust Him with our money? Will we trust Him to take care of our finances? But moving from from fear to faith, it, it can be scary at times. And it's part of our journey of faith. But it's thrilling as well. It's always thrilling when I see God move. It's amazing. And I have so many stories of God's provision in our lives that I still wonder why at times I doubt and why I become fearful. So I want to share just a couple of stories. One where uh, we got it right. One where I got it wrong. But when, when Kat and I were first married, we didn't have a proper understanding of stewardship. We lived in fear, not in faith. And, but after time, we began to let go of that fear and began to live in faith. And, and we began by saying, okay, God, we'll give you the leftovers. That never worked because there was nothing ever left over at the end of the month, right? There was too much month at the end of the money. But then we had to change the way we viewed that and said, God wants the best in the first. And then we always had enough. Now, living in that has had its ups and downs. And I've had to have some attitude adjustments along the way. Let me, let me share one attitude adjustment that I had to learn in a, in a failure of mine. I remember once I was reading, uh, again, the Apostle Paul and his, letter, uh, his first letter to the Corinthians. And in chapter 9, Paul is comparing our faith to runners who compete in a race. Remember that text of Paul? He says, run like you're wanting to win the race. Run in such a way that you will win it. And see, at the time, my wife and I had been tithing for quite some time. We had gotten to that point where we were able to tithe. And, and I think it was about that time when we were making those commitments to God through the church. When I was reading this, that as I read that, I began to reflect on the journey we'd been on. And I was thinking, wow, I'm starting to puff myself up. Look at us. 
look at how good we're doing. We're tithing. We're, we're one of the top givers in the church, and, and we're one of the pastors. And I was thinking to myself, that how great this is, how, how good we have gotten, how far we have come. I had a little pride. And I heard God speak to my spirit in a way that I seldom have heard Him speak before. You want to know what He said? He said, Rick, congratulations. You've made it to the starting line. Are you ready to run? You know what I said? Nope. But I was reminded again. Here I thought I'd completed the race. God just said, no, you just started the race. In fact, you haven't even started. You're just doing the minimum of what I expected you to do in the first place. Are you ready to run? But I had fear. And, and I repented. In that moment, I repented. I said, God, forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for thinking that I'm all that and I'm really not. And I learned another foundational truth that day. Humility. Humility when it comes to our giving and to our stewardship. Because all of us are on a journey of faith wherever we are. And God is always calling us to take another step of faith. And no matter where we are, whether we're just starting in journey or have been doing this journey of faith our whole life, as long as we're pointed to Christ, as long as we're walking towards Him, it doesn't matter how far away we are. If we're on that journey towards Him, that's where the heart of stewardship is. God was gracious to me. He didn't zap me for my pride. But he reminded me again of the heart of stewardship, that he is generous, that he owns everything, and I'm called to be faithful. But we try to give more and more of ourselves each day and trust that he will provide. See, one of the things my wife has always said is that, you know, we can't outgive God. You ever tried? There's another time in our life, several years ago, where Kat and I were having actually a tough time financially, and we're struggling with making the budget work. Now, I'm an accounting major. I got my degree in accounting. I pride myself in being able to put together a budget. And I kept trying to put this budget together, and it wasn't working. And it was very frustrating for this logical, everything must, must balance person. It was a struggle. We were giving, at the time, about 10% of our income to the church, and we were giving an extra amount to some other people. We were giving uh, support to a missionary family in in Hungary, we were giving, uh, we were supporting a compassion child in India, and we were supporting the Wesley Foundation, where I grew in my faith. And I realized that those three gifts above that 10% that we were giving was the exact amount we needed to make the budget balance. So I was in a quandary there, and I and I began to rationalize. Well, God. We're already tithing, so we'll just cut back for this season. And, and, and they'll understand that we're having a tough time. And so Kat and I were talking about that, and we were wrestling with that. And she'll say, she said, you know, whatever you think is best for us. And, and so I, I was struggling, though, because then I began to think about that family in Hungary that we'd known in seminary. And that they were trying to raise a family, and they had a lot less money than we did. And then I was thinking about that compassion child who lives in India, and our money was the reason she could go to school. And then I was thinking about the Wesley Foundation where my faith 
was grown. And I finally said, okay, we're just going to have to cut other things. We'll make it work one way or another. Is that okay with you? Because we're in this together. We had to make sure we were in agreement. She said, yeah, I think we can, we can do it. We, we just won't eat out very much. We just won't go on vacation, those kind of things. And I said, okay, we'll do that. As soon as we had made that decision, the postman came. We heard him put the mail in the mailbox. And, of course, my wife loves to get the mail. So she went out and got the mail, brought in the mail. And a friend had sent us a check for $10,000. God provided. At the heart of God is generosity. That was more than what we were giving away to those others. Now here's what I want you to remember. Don't hear me say that if you give, you're going to give back financially. That was one time. There are other times where we just struggled. Right? God's not a pinball machine. But, but, but God does want to provide for us if we will be faithful. I learned a valuable lesson that day. At the heart of God is generosity. He wants to take care of us. I learned that it's all His to begin with. And that when I give, I give to God. When we have a heart heart of stewardship, then we can always have joyful giving. That's my hope for you. That your heart is transformed this day. Let us pray. How we thank you, God for the ways that you move in our midst, for your grace and love that is always, always there, for your faithfulness, for taking care of us, for your church, the best hope for the world in Jesus Christ, for your spirit that spurs us on in all things. We give you thanks.